great song. I might well tell you now, you, we can close with that one too. <laughs> oh, God. Amen. We left off in Joshua chapter 11, verse 14. You know, usually I read my Bible from Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, I don't know, I'm a blockhead. I'd never noticed that, uh, and we'll get through it anyway. I never noticed after about the 10th chapter, 11th chapter of the book of Joshua, it's all about dividing up the land. And so I've been doing a, re- a lot of studying how we can do this and keep it interesting. But just remember this. The Lord has left us an inheritance. And we want everything he has left us. And we would go, if, you, if your mom and dad, if they're passed away, or your grandparents, they've ever left you a deed to a property or some land, you know, when you get that paperwork, you scrutinize it to make sure everything that's left to you belongs to you and you want it all. And that's the way the children of Israel is. As Joshua begins to divide up the land, they have attentive ears of what they are receiving And it brings them back to the faithfulness of God all the way from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15 to Genesis 18 when he he told Abram to go outside in Genesis 12 and 15 to count the stars if you're able to count them. That will be your descendants. And this land that you're standing on, I will give it to you. And it's been 430 years and now that they're back and they're going through these wars and all these battles. And when they've won these wars and battles, they finally or allotted the land, and they are excited about it. And, you know, there's many of obstacles in the way of us inheriting everything the Lord has for us here. Joshua's been through fortified cities, all these battles at Hazor. Remember, last Sunday he burnt that city to make an example of it to the ground. Even though they were mighty, it doesn't mean much if the Lord is on your side. And they're finding that out. So verse 15 of chapter 11 tells us, and the Lord had commanded Moses his servant. So Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Reminds me of 2 Timothy. Verse 2 says this of chapter 2, and the things that you have heard from men from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. It's good to pass the word of God down to your children and the, and the grandchildren and all those things. And it, it, it matters as we tell them these things. What cements them into their hearts is when they look at us and they see that we're walking upright in these things, obedience. And that's what Joshua is doing. Thus Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak and the ascent of Seir to even as far as Belgad in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon, he captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. 
And, you know, we seldom realize how the Bible is condensed. And it's condensed like this because we can carry it around. It's portable, and that's good. And I'm reminded what John said in his gospel. He says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, he says, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that will be written, amen. And my point is, I don't want us to get a false impression that just because it takes 20 to 25 minutes to read chapters 10 and 11, which for most parts, they are condensed, it must have taken them a very short time to conquer the land of Canaan because it didn't. It says in verse 18, and it serves as a mental corrector to us for thinking like that. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. In chapter 14, verse 14, God speaking through Joshua to Caleb as they begin to divide up the land, Joshua, he, he asked Caleb, okay, what territory, Caleb, do you want? And Caleb tells him, Now, therefore, give me this mountain, speaking of Hebron. But verses 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 14 also tells us, and now he says this, Behold, the Lord has kept me, Caleb speaking, alive as he said these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years years old. Remember, they had turned away from the promised land, those 12 spies, 10 of them did. And then it was 38 years of wilderness wandering. And so now they finally come back to Kadesh Barnea, and the wars of Canaan lasted about seven years. And now the challenge they have will be to occupy this land. They've broken the back of the, of the southern and the northern campaign, and now they have to occupy it. It tells us in Exodus 23, verses 28 through 30, I finally decided to read it because I chopped it up when I said it in so many ways. This is what it says, and I, God speaking, I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. In God's wisdom, he says, I'm going to give you pieces of it. I'm going to give it to you portion by portion. And he breaks the back of the land militarily, Joshua does. There's no question about who's in charge at this time. And it doesn't say that Joshua, Joshua was taking every village and city. It does not say that. But he's taken the land for all intents and purposes. It belongs to the children of Israel now. And God will begin to allow each tribe to divide up the land, to go in and occupy the land. That's what they're about to do. And it's the same way with us. 
Jesus Christ comes. He dies on the cross. He resurrects because there's no sin in him in word, thought, or deed. And when we give, repent of our sins and give our lives to him, he redeems us. He gives us the land. He gives us these great and precious promises. But it's up to us to start walking in those great and precious promises. Once again, divine sovereignty and man's responsibility, they go hand in hand. Somehow we don't understand it, but it's God who works in us to will and to do of his good purposes. So it says, Joshua made war a long time, and I'm here to tell you, so will you and I. We will make war until the Lord calls us home. I like what Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 8 tells us. There is no release from that war. People can retire from jobs. Those, that is good and well. We should. But when it, when it comes to that spiritual war, those spiritual battles, as long as we are here, we will always be fighting them. Verse 19 tells us, there was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, praise God, except the Hivites. I love that. I I forgot to write the verse down. I think it's in Acts chapter 3, chapter 5, something like that. It's a strange verse, and it's a very strange verse to those who aren't born again, but it's something like that. All like this, all those that was ordained for salvation— came to the Lord. We can wrestle with that one until he calls us home. And it's just funny to me that he would say, there was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All the others they took in battle, for it was of the Lord to harden their hearts. Please take note of what's happening here, what he's saying. It was of the Lord to harden these other tribes these different tribes, so they would not repent of their sins. He goes on to say that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses, like he had done to Pharaoh in Egypt. Now, again, we have to remember The clock has struck midnight. God said 400 years, 420 years. Abraham, your descendants are going back into the land of Canaan. I've given them 420 years to repent of their sins. Romans chapter 2 verse 5 tells us, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath. In the day of wrath. That's what I was doing when I was an unbeliever for 32 years, just doing what I wanted to do, living any way I wanted to. And the end was coming. The end was coming, and I did not know. And revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Their iniquity, the Amorites, the Canaanites, all of them, their iniquity had come to a full. And it's God's decision that he deliberately hardens their hearts At this time, it says that he might utterly destroy them. It wasn't that they didn't have a chance. 
They had 420 years. They had the same chance. Who was that woman on the wall? What was her name? Rahab. And I know the Bible, and we talked about this a little bit, Rahab the harlot, that was her MO. But remember, she had a a great business. She was a, 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 a lady of means. So it wasn't that, oh, my life is terrible, nothing is going right, let me give my life to the Lord. No. She was a rich woman. But she heard about this God of slaves. She heard about this God who loved her, uh, his people so much that he would make a way through the Red Sea and now the Jordan River. And now is going to destroy the land of Canaan. And something impregnated her. God was speaking to her. And she gives her life and all those that came into her house to God. And she turned. And so the clock has struck midnight here. Rahab had heard that God was an awesome God. She had heard that God had defeated Sihong and Og on the eastern side of the Jordan River. She had heard all of that. The Gibeonites, another testimony against the Canaanites and the Amorites, they had heard. And remember what they did. They had secured their places in the inheritance of God. So it wasn't that God was just being merciless. No, that wasn't it. They had opportunity to hear and turn, but they refuse. So he allows their choice like he does because God is a gentleman. Nobody goes to hell except stepping over the body of Jesus Christ. The gospel is screaming to us. So in these next two verses, remember these two verses. I want us to see the needlessness of fear. The needlessness of anxiety and fear. Because verse 21 tells us, and at that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Now, the very mention of these Anakims probably does not strike fear into your hearts, but it did to the children of Israel and everyone that was in that vicinity. Remember, they were kind of the incredible hulk of the giants. And there are many giants in the scripture. It speaks of the the Emmons, the Zamzumans, the Raphaims, all of these giants. And 40 years before Israel was sure, as Moses sent these 12 spies out, they said, yes, Moses, when they got back, the land is just like you said it would be. Uh, a, A fruitful land, an abundance of everything. They bring back those grapes. On a huge pole, can you imagine how big those grapes had to be? And they said, yes, Moses, you're correct. But there's giants in the land. And we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. We know the account. And so it's, it spelled terror to them. Now, we might not have giants, Anakins today, but we can be fearful over a lost 
of a job, over what may happen six months from now, and it just keeps us paralyzed. We can be fearful of our health. We can be fearful over a wayward child. And God is saying, Jesus Christ says, be anxious for nothing. Look at the sparrows. They neither toil nor spin, but, and, and they don't have to worry about anything. And that's what he's saying to us this morning. We don't have to worry about those things. He's going to provide. He's going to take care of everything that comes our way. And I want us to understand that verses 16 through 23, it's really a summation of the whole conquest. And it's fascinating to me that these last verses, as we're finishing the conquest, he goes back to these Anakins here. And it's here, I believe, that God wants us to expose the groundlessness of fear to that generation that turned away the first time they got to the edge of Canaan. Our most dreadful fears, we have to understand, whatever they might be, they're all subject to Yahweh's power no matter what that anxiety might be, no matter what we might be doubting or dreading or, 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 or worrying about our children, they're always subject to Yahweh's power. We all have various giants that can torment us in our lives, giants of doubt, giants of anxiety, giants about the future. But the text here, it should assure us that Yahweh's power is more than adequate to handle any giant that we may ever face this side of eternity. We need to rest and rely on the Lord. Job says something very strange in his book, and that reminds me, you young men, old men, whatever, a man please come out to our uh, men's meeting every other Saturday. We, we had five guys here, and I'm, I don't care about the numbers, but what I want you to know, those five guys, we were blessed because we can get together. Paul Allen shared just a little, and then we discussed what he spoke about, and we just have great times. It, 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 iron sharpens iron. And it was just a really wonderful time. But Job says this in chapter 3, verse 25. Job was doing well at this time, being blessed at this time. He says, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened to me. That's amazing to me. There is something about being positive. That's good to be positive. And I, believe me, I'm not talking about positive thinking. I guess that could help in some ways. But I'm talking about being, being positive and assured of the promises of God. Even when Job was doing well, life was well, he has this comment here. I, I, I'm amazed at it. And what God wants us to see it's what the children of Israel are thinking 
and dreading about these giants. We might not have these 10 and 13 feet giant people in our lives, but we can feel the same way of our everyday living with dread and anxiety. The form of our fears, they might be different, but the adequacy of God is the same here. I love the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. I try to read it once a year. And here's an example. Remember Christian, and, and he's coming to the palace beautiful, where he, he was trying to find lodging there. And as he begins to walk down a very narrow passage to the porter's lodge, remember he sees these two beastly lions. But the lions were chained, Bunyan says parenthetically. And that's very good. But the issue is, Christian doesn't know the lions are chained. We know they're chained. And that's when everything that occurs comes our way, those doubts, those fears, those anxieties in our lives. We might not see the chains there, but they're chained. God is going to take care of his children. We, we don't have to fear that anything or anyone is going to get in the way of our going to the palace beautiful. That's what he means by that. Matter of fact, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. It says this in Ephesians, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. Everything, anything that comes our way, it can only go so far because it's chained to God's will. Verse 23 tells us, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their division by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Chapter 12 begins to give us this summary into chapter 13, a picture of Israel not only taking their inheritance in the land, but beginning to occupy. But look back at verse 21 in chapter 11. Notice it says, and at that time. It's not speaking of the exact sequence of time, but it's given us an era, a time slot. It was at that period that Joshua cuts the Anakims off. And we'll find out in chapter 14, Caleb will do some of that also. So verses 22 and 23 is a summation of what we've, we're headed into right now. I'm sure you guys, once again, will think these scriptures are tedious and we're not going to read them all. But once again, if it was your land that you're about to occupy you would listen to everything that you're about to get. It says, we know it says, the king of Jericho won. The king of Ai won. And that's hard to read in the morning when you're doing your morning devotional. You might almost fall asleep on those 31 kings there. But as you ponder your daily walk while you're at the office or you're at home or you're at school, 
and you begin to think of all of the inheritance that the Lord has given us, has died and resurrected again for us, we'd be excited about that. It says this, these are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, speaking of the eastern side, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain. One king was Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead from Aor, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, which is Armon Jordan today, from the middle of that river, even as far as the river Jabbok which is the border of the Ammonites, verse 3, and the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Chinneroth, speaking of the Sea of Galilee, as far as the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, the road to Beth Shemoth, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory, who was of the remnant of the giants who dwelt at Ashtaroth and at Edri. Goliath was one of these giants, and, and, and we'll read about him more in First and Second Samuel. He was kin to Og. And Og and Sihon is mentioned in Nehemiah, is mentioned in the Psalms, mentioned in a couple of more books. But the 31 kings that we're about to look at this morning, They're never mentioned again, and that's there for a reason. These notable kings, Sihon and Og, is mentioned all the way through the Bible. I think Nehemiah also. So it says, the other king was Og, king of Bashan and his territory, who was of the remnant of the giants who dwelt at Ashtaroth and in Edri and reigned over Mount Hermon over Salka, over all Bashan, as far as the border of the Gersherites and the Machathites, and over half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon, who was of the south. Verse 6, these Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. We have 33 slain kings, 31 Joshua and the children of Israel defeat. You never hear them again. Those two kings that Moses defeated, you hear all the way through the Scripture. The reason why. Here's the application. It's not about who or what you defeat. It's the prominence of who you defeat. Only two kings were defeated. We need to understand there's a difference between also inheritance and possession. There's an inheritance that's given to them. These 31 kings that Joshua defeated, it doesn't say that they took possession of all that. He didn't have enough men to set up men's in each garrison, a detachment of men. But what he does, he breaks the backbone, once again, of Canaan. There are other smaller cities and villages, and it wasn't like 
there were one king that ruled over these 31 kings. There were individual kings, so he's taking them one at a time. And when he begins to lot out the land, the Reubenites, the Issachar, and all these other tribes, they have to go in and put out these small fires to possess the land. In our own lives, in regards to what Jesus Christ has given us, we, as his children, we have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. As he has come to us, and now that we are in Christ, he has given us victory. We are no longer to live defeated lives. But again, we are to beckon to take possession of everything the Lord has given us. The promises of God belongs to his children. Sometimes we see believers and they still are in bondage to sin. They are living a life of sin, still living in fear, still living in bitterness, living in, even in legalism. And yet in Christ, we are told we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. He's given us the sword of the word to fight with. He has mapped out all of the territory and the great and precious promises that belongs to us in his word. And he has told us that in Christ, these things are ours this morning. There's a time period. Some might grow more in Christ than others. Some may never, and we will never reach the place where we are perfect here but we are striving to get there. And some might take territory quicker than others. It's not about a race to the finish. It's about maturing in Christ. Are we doing that? Am I living holier today in Christ than I did 32 years ago? That's the question. God has granted us the land. Moses, once again, is held up before us as defeating two kings, and Joshua is given to us for defeating 31. And the thing that we must remember as we look at this is the one who slays many kings and the one who slays few is never judged by God by the number. It doesn't matter there. It is by the difficulty. It is by the prominence of that king that he slaughters. It is by the exercising of our faith to defeat whatever comes against us. It is by faith that we defeat any enemy that comes our way. Because Moses has victory over Og and Sihon and Joshua over these 31 kings. And yet and still, the press of Moses is all the way through the scriptures about these two kings. And, you know, we sometimes, we see in people's lives, and maybe we've grown, up, we, we've grown up like this because we all come from different backgrounds. Maybe you had an abusive parent or you were in an abusive relationship. And those are like two awesome, fearful kings. And it might take you all your life 
to battle to get over these kings, and you do it by faith, and you understand that God loves you, and you understand that God cares, and you understand that God is there, and he was there, and he loves you. And he brings you through those things. And then it might be your friend next to you. You would think they're small battles. Oh, I'm through with that. I didn't have to worry about that. I wasn't molested. I wasn't abused. I wasn't all these things, and they're going through things. Well, God says, I know what you've been through. I know how your heart was broken. And if you just walk with me through these things and trust me, and what you want, the answers that we want, we will never get on this side of eternity. But trust me enough that I love you and you can walk and you can have victory even through those things here. Those two battles are prominent. Those two battles matter. And we might have to fight those battles all our lives to have that peace that surpasses all understanding. But God is saying, these battles are made for you and and you will overcome. And so what we need to understand, we need to pick our own role of peace. Yes, we pray for one another, but it's terrible to look at someone else's life and say, man, I wish I had your life. Your life is a bed of roses when you never know what they've been through. God knows. God cares. He's given us our own road to walk down, and he's there with us, you guys. And we can get through anything. That's what Moses is trying to say here. The Holy Spirit is telling us. It doesn't matter if there are 31 kings or two kings you defeat. Continue to move. Continue to defeat these obstacles that are against us, that the enemy has made against us. And we'll have victory because we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is righteous. God is good. And we need to think about just holding on to his unchanging hand. In verse 7 and 8, after you list these these 31 kings from verses 10 to 23, It says this in verse 7. And these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on on this side of the Jordan on the west, from Belgad in the valley of Lebanon, as far as Mount Halak, and the ascent of Seir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their division. Listen, notice the different typography of the land that he begins to lot out. In the mountain country, what it's going to look like. In the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the south. Then it says the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, I want to go one day to Israel. I've never been. And even now I would go. But this is just astonishing to me that all this typography, topography is different in this piece of land the size of New Jersey. I heard one man put it this way. Northern California, where they tell me you can water ski in the same day and then go up to the mountains and snow ski, that's what Israel is all about. You have the Dead Sea, 
where in the spring it gets 100 degrees, 120 degrees, and then you can go on the other side to Mount Hermon, 11,000-foot summit, feet summit, and you can snow ski all year around. And you have all of this topography, and the Lord is about to divide out the land. And as they're dividing out this land, you know the children of Israel are thinking, Abraham was here. This is where God made Abraham the promise in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15 and in Genesis 18. And now we are back in this land. And that shows us, you guys, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. He's a promise keeper, and he's, and he's doing all of this for the children of Israel. So verses 9 through 16, he gives us the names of these 16 kings in the southern part of the country. And then verses 7 through 24, the aim of those scriptures is to vindicate once again the faithfulness of God, how faithful he's been. Abraham, your descendants are coming back. The struggle with Isaac and Jacob coming back to the land, 400 years of bondage coming out of those 40 years in the wilderness wandering, and they finally go into the land of promise. And now they're there. And I told you guys before, I love war movies. I love the history about war. I love studying, studying World War I, World War II, the Civil War, all of those wars. But this, the wars they have fought in Canaan are the most important wars that was ever fought, any war that's ever fought, because this was determined, it will determine the history of the world here, because this war moved God's people back into the land of promise, where ultimately David would subdue Jebus and call it Jerusalem, and the Messiah would come and be born in Bethlehem the promises of God, and he will defeat the greatest enemy, Jesus Christ will, that's ever lived, and that's the devil. And now the issue is about taking hold of the possession of all this land and subduing it. It's still there to be remained. Chapter 13 says this, now Joshua was old, advanced in years. I like how the King James says it. Joshua was old and well stricken in years. It's one thing to be old. It's another thing to be well stricken. That means you've had a tough life and you're old. And it's, and, and, and it's also funny, I know God has a sense of humor, that he tells Joshua that he's that way. And the Lord said to him, you are old. God, don't tell me that. I have a wife. She tells me that. You can't go play basketball. You can't play basketball anymore. You're old. I I know, Lord. (laughs) You are old, advanced in years. And then he says, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7 has has said, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. 
I'm praying for that. Joshua would die at 110. Right now, at this time, he's somewhere around 100. Moses was 20 years older, and he was still ready to go to war. Moses was ready to fight another thousand battles, if need be. But God called him home when he was 120 years. And now it says, Joshua, you are old and you are advanced in years. It's a picture to me. I I watch these presidents, especially United States presidents, the, the younger one, when they go into office, they're vibrant, they're fresh, most of them. Uh, I'll I, I just give you Obama. Obama didn't have a gray hair in his head. After eight years, oh, man, all of the presidents are like that because the, the, the pressure of the country, the pressure of the world is on them. That's why we should pray for our leaders. And that's the same thing that's happened to Joshua, Moses, 120 years old defeated Sihong and Og, and he was still ready to go to war. But Joshua is made out of different material. Joshua is tender. Joshua and the children of Israel defeated 31 kings. But that, to me, I believe that defeat that they took at Ai, when 32 men were slayed, the only time there would be any death conquering this land, that weighed heavy. On Joshua. Remember, God had to tell Joshua over and over again, be strong, be of good courage. I'm here for you. I'm going to fight for you. Moses, you didn't have to do that. Moses was a man of war. Moses did the work, and Joshua did too, but my point is Joshua is old, and he is stricken, and life, because of everything he had to worry about, has worn him down. But he still tells Joshua, there's much land to be possessed. And that should be a great exhortation to anyone here that's over 60, anyone here over 70 or 80. And if you're over 100 or you're watching, that goes for you too. Because God is saying you still need to pick up your sword and go to battle. There's no retirement in fighting giants or whatever may come our way, whether you're 60 or 80 or 90 years of age. We still have to put down this flesh each and every day. We still have children and grandchildren to tell them about Jesus Christ and what he has done in our lives. And we need to do that until he calls us home here. I love Psalms 92, 14. This is what it says. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Think about that. How important is it the way we handle time? It's, I was talking to, to a gentleman this morning. When I was young, time seemed like it. It would never go. Now it flies by. Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us 
that we should walk circumspectly, acrobos. We get the word acrobat, looking, watching, everything. Why? Because then he says the Holy Spirit, redeeming the time because the days are evil, knowing that we should be good stewards of our time. While I'm sitting there watching something that I could watch anytime, I, I should be out sharing the gospel or doing other, other things or encouraging my children, those kinds of things, because time catches up with all of us. That's my point, sooner or later. Joni Erickson, she said this, time is a slippery substance. And this is what she means by that. Time in God's providence humiliates all human ambition in the final analysis. And that's what it does. Father time, they say, especially in sports, is undefeated. And he is. So it's, it's so much better to get up in the morning and spend time with the Lord and get our marching orders from him right then and there. We must understand the thing is, this process called time is moving from one end to the other. It's not a circle of life from point A to point B, and it's God's inheritance that it's moving to. He has an inheritance. And God, the Son, Jesus Christ, his inheritance is every believer that's ever called on his name. That's what he's looking forward to. I feel like he's sped up time every once in a while to get us home with him. This is what the psalmist says. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. That's all over the news today. And against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So all inheritance and possession is simply a part of this string of time headed in one direction. We are his inheritance. We are his possession. It's amazing to me. People tell me not to watch the news all the time, but I'm a newsaholic. I finally put it down for a little while, but guess what? I picked it back up. But it's just amazing for me to look and see What's going on in the world today? That's why I read Psalms 2. All of the crime that's happening, the economy and the inflation, the border security. I love America. I'm unashamed about that. If I was born in Mexico, I would love Mexico. If I was born in Africa, I would love Africa. I was born in America, and I love America. And when I see people on TV and they say with a straight face, that the border is closed, 
when 2000 is coming in day by day, I scratch my head and I say, that's not true. That's not true. When they sit in front of me and, and a woman tells me that they're a man or a man tells me that they're a woman or what is the definition of a woman, I'm concerned. And they can't tell me I'm concerned about that. My heart is broken about that. And it doesn't even boil down to politics. It doesn't even boil down to what you think of the border. You don't think of the border. I'm just saying that they lie to me with a straight face as if I'm supposed to believe it. And I said, Lord, where are you? Where are you? If they'll lie to me about something that's so simple and that I can see, what else will they lie to me about that's not so simple to see? And I'm thinking of all these things as I'm reading the scriptures and, and he's allotting out the land. And, and my issue is, my point in all of this madness is, God is in control. That's what settles my spirit when they lie to me like that. Because I want to go, I wish they would ever one day put a microphone in my face and ask me my opinion. I'll probably have to leave here because I would say, come on. I mean, black is white, white is black. You tell me this, you tell me that. What are you saying? I'm just a country boy with common sense. And even I know these things aren't true. And the main reason I know they're not true is the word of God, what he said. I'm defending someone else's borders in places I've never heard of, but I, I can't even defend our borders here. My point is, I don't even care your view, a view about these things. My point is, God, Victor, is in control. That's why I can watch the news, because in the final analysis, I say, hey, God's in control. He's allowing this. And as we go through these chapters, and I look at these, the inheritance that's granted to the children of Israel. There's no real spoils there that they take. Because war, when it's described in here, we already know the results. They're going to be victorious before any battle is taken. There's real no major mistake, human mistake that happens in history. Anything that we might say is a hiccup. I don't know why I'm in history this morning. I don't know why I'm in politics this morning. So if you want to forgive me, forgive me. If you don't, that's cool. The Lord forgives me. I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, but this is my point here. (laughs) Nothing that happens in human history is a surprise to the Lord. It's not, oh, there's a mistake. I think uh, I love John F. Kennedy. I was only three years old at the time, and I saw my mom and dad cry. They said he was a great president. I didn't know at that time, but as I read history, I said, yeah, it's a pretty good president. God knew that, but it's leading, my point is, it's leading, it's coming to an end. God is superintending everything. He allows these things to happen, and he holds everything in his hand, Victor. My well-being, your well-being, we are his purchased possession, and we don't have to now, I'm saying we because I'm, I'm, I'm hoping everyone in this room is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. If you're not, you have something to fear. You need to come to the Lord. You need to repent of your sin, give your life to the Lord. Anyone that's watching that does, does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, you need to repent of your sins, give your life to the Lord. But if you are in the family of God, 
no matter what's happening in this world, we kick back and say we are his purchased possession. He loves us. And there's an eternal home waiting for us. And it might get tough down here, but that's okay. We're passing through. We're his purchased possession. He has paid for us by the blood of his dear son, Jesus Christ. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He tells Joshua, there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Major strongholds, I hope, have been taken in your lives. And we can look back and say, I've grown in 10 years. I've grown in 15 years. But we're not perfect yet. There are still pockets of selfishness. There are still pockets of pride. There are still pockets of laziness that I need to get through. And I need to allow the Lord to work in me, to continue to conform me and transform me into the image of his son. That is the only reason we are here. And we have to yield to the Holy Spirit to allow him to do those things so we can possess all of the great and precious promises that he's called us. In case you didn't know, I'm in chapter 13, verses 2 and (laughs) 3. This is the land that yet remains, all the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Gershorites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashtonites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites. Notice God told Joshua and the children of Israel that Gaza was theirs. And we know when you read the book of Judges, that's all they do is fight those five cities. David has to do the same thing, but God says they belong to them. Verse 4, from the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Mirah that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek to the border of the Amorites, the land of Gebelites and all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Bel Gad below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. All the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook Mishrafoth and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divided by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. It tells us in Exodus, it tells us in Numbers, I'm going to draw them out little by little. I read that to you. My point is, this is a process. There's a process for me to defeat and you to defeat the enemies in our lives. Whatever thing that hinders me to to being conformed and transformed into the image of Christ, I need to defeat. I have the grace to defeat. What I must ask myself, the things that I am doing, are they moving me closer to the holiness of the Lord or are they taking me away from being more and more like the Lord? Because that's the goal. That's the end game. I ought to be being transformed more and more into the image of Christ because that's the goal to possess the land the great and precious promises of God here. 
His wisdom, he gives us to do those things. Everything that the Lord has called us to do, you guys, we can do. But how much do we want to do it? How much do I want to behave like Christ? How much do I want to look like Christ? Or do I hold something back when someone gives me a hard time, I can act like Victor? I'm just being real. Those are the questions. We are here for a purpose. And that main purpose is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Because when we are transformed, when we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, I have no problem loving my neighbor. I have no problem loving my enemies. I have no problem laying down my life for you guys. So it's only one goal to be transformed into his image. Everything else outflows from that as he begins to divide up this land here. That's what he does. The worship team can come up. Joshua is about to find rest. God tells Joshua, he t- I think he tells Moses three times in the Pentateuch, the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. Every time you hear about Moses, three or four times it speaks of the servant of the Lord. And at the end of the book of Joshua, God says, the servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord is almost, I don't, I don't know if I want to hear PV, the servant of the Lord, when I sin, or well done, you good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. I don't know which one because they're both is mighty sweet to the ear, but that's what we should be. We should serve one another. But it's hard to serve one another, and I'll close with this. I'm not going to promise you. Take this to the bank. It's hard to serve one another when we haven't defeated these giants in our land because we're too focused on those giants to help Emily out. I'm too focused on these giants to pray for you. God, that's why it's important to defeat the giants in our land. That's, that's, what, that's what Joshua is saying. That's what Moses said. And they got the information from God. I can't be a use to any of you guys if I'm not defeating giants. And that's the key. As long as I'm defeating giants, I have time to pray for Hank. I have time to pray for Paul. I have time to pray for you guys. But it's, when it's all about me, oh, I, I know I need to do this, I need to do that. I'm defeated, and God doesn't want us to be defeated. We are a body. We need to be praying for one another because days aren't going to get better. Days are going to get darker. And we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might so we can lift one another up in prayer. In a nutshell, that's all I I mean by this. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, There's one or two giants that you have slain in my life. I was just a part of it. As Paul Allen said yesterday, I was just there. I'm just a zero that equaled out the equation, but I was there. 
But Lord, there's still pockets of other things that I need to slay, allow you to slay, Lord, so I can be more effective in my prayer life, so I can be more effective in ministering to others, all those things, Lord. And it boils down to becoming more and more like your dear son, Jesus Christ. Father, would you minister to all of our hearts to show us areas that we need to allow you to minister to that's holding us back from serving you the way we should, being intimate with you the way we should, to let go and let God have his way in our lives. That's what we're asking for this morning, Father. Give us grace to do that. Continue to Speak to our hearts until we allow you to have your way in us, Father. And it's going to be for our benefit, like everything you do for us, Father. Lord, we love you. I pray that you would have your way in our lives. And I ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen. Let's stand and close with the song.